It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Tyrus. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Trey Gowdy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. I'm Dave Anthony. It is a growing trend in the border crisis. A lot of migrants coming here illegally are Chinese. Fox's Griff Jenkins met some crossing into California. I said, what kind of job do you want? He said, computer job. And it's it's like all of a sudden it dawned on me. It's like maybe there are many of these single adult men that are coming that have ties to the Chinese Communist Party. And that's bad. I'm Lisa Brady. America's having trouble hiring police officers, and that may come down to support, not money. But once you take that white hat off of them and you make them the bad guy and you make them the target, don't expect them to run towards gunshots and don't expect them to get up in the morning and want to do the job. And I'm Carol Roth. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It is still the big issue for many Republicans in Washington. Stopping record illegal immigration. Congressman Corey Mills tells Fox. We need to be focusing on the priorities, which is the Senate passing H.R. 2 secure the Border Act and us taking care of the American risk, which is our southern and northern borders. I will be clear. I will vote no on all funding to Ukraine. Our priority and my priority is to be the one who is carrying out my duties, my constitutional oath. But President Biden insists they had a bipartisan plan to bolster border security that some Republicans in the Senate even co-wrote. But it's stalled. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. Meanwhile, there's been a shift at the border, less illegal entry in Texas, more in Arizona and in California, where Fox's Bill Malugin reports east of San Diego. This spot right here in Hakumba has quickly turned into a mass illegal crossing area. We'll show you one of the reasons why. People from all around the world are picking this spot because the border wall right here just abruptly ends right at this boulder. There is nothing left past these rocks. The migrants are able to climb up here. And once they step foot right here, they're in the U.S. That's all there is to it. You can see clothing, paperwork, food and bottles all over the place here. Now, Griff Jenkins is just back from that same area of California. He and Bill are part of a new Fox Nation special titled 24-7 Border Crisis. This administration, whether they intended to do it or not, I don't subscribe motivations. I just report you decide. They have chosen to favor a mass catch and release program. Griff Jenkins is a Fox News correspondent based in Washington, but he joined us in New York. They have not enforced deportations. They have not turned people around. And so the word, you know, everyone's like, how does this happen? How does this happen? Here's how it happens. When a migrant comes and gets across illegally and then is released with a notice to appear at a court hearing 10 years from now or three years, whatever, they write back to family and friends on Facebook or text message or social media and say, I made it, Dave. Mm-hmm. I got in. You're in. And if the end justifies the means and risk the journey and go, in the case of the Darien Gap, the most dangerous jungle between Panama and Colombia, of which I've spent lots of time there as well, 
it pays off. And now you have, as I was just reporting in Hakumba, California, what border officials are quietly telling me off camera, they're terrified. And I don't like but hyperbole what, 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 what do we for want? a national a terif- security risk. And here's why. Okay, what's different? What's different is in the fiscal year 2021, just two years or three years fiscals back, 2021, there were 450 total Chinese nationals, 450, that crossed the southern border, the entire southern border, for that year. You didn't see any in the caravans you were dealing with? No. No. But, and you're right, I was in the caravans in 2021. This fiscal year, it's more than 20,000. And we're only four and a half months in. But I got the numbers from my Border Patrol sources. Of the past 72 hours, there were 452 total Chinese migrants in just the San Diego sector. All right, so in San Diego in three days, that's more than in 2021 fiscal year for the entire southern border. Exactly. We know, it really out in the open, that China is the biggest theft of IP, of intellectual property. And you may have seen on Fox, I interviewed the one migrant who said, um, uh, why you, why'd you come to the U.S.? He said, take up money. I was like, job. He's like, yeah, job. Later, when the camera wasn't rolling, I said, by the way, I was circling around. I said, what kind of job do you want? He said, computer job. And it's it's like all of a sudden it dawned on me. It's like maybe there are many of these single adult men that are coming that have ties to the Chinese Communist Party. And that's bad. But even on the less bad but also bad category are those that have the computer skills to take our IP. And that's a daunting thought because most of the migrants you get from, say, Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, and Mexico, we send them back. We have repatriation agreements. If you come and get caught crossing illegally, you're probably not going to be released, actually. They do send, send you right back. But China, back. China's not the way. Let's China's say, no. not that way. We don't have those repatriation agreements. And we also don't have, Dave, the national security sharing agreements with China. I'll give you another example of the security, and then, and then I'll, I'll let it go. But you, you may have seen I interviewed three men from Syria. And the one guy says, why'd you come? He's like, I love America. I want a nice life. It's like, okay, so wanting a nice life, I mean, I'm a compassionate guy just like you, but wanting a nice life isn't grounds for asylum. And Syria is a state sponsor of terror. Now, those migrants from from Syria or Afghanistan, I ran into some Afghanistan ones, those are special interest aliens. They'll get a different level of scrutiny. They'll be separated at the main detention center and held, and someone from FBI or from an intelligence group will actually dig a little deeper. A different deeper. kind of vetting for them. More uh, scrutiny uh, in the vetting. But, but even at the end of the day, the board officials will confess that you know, we don't really know unless they hit an Interpol or they hit something that triggers it. And then they are on the terror watch list. And there have been hundreds that have been hit on that yeah. list, right? That have come to the U.S. in this last several years, hundreds from who were, who were on the watch list. Is that A- correct? Absolutely. You know, my reporting in Hakumba, California last week is it's vast open area. 60 Minutes showed the break where mm-hmm. the wall meets rugged terrain. I was reporting from 4,200 elevation. Bill Malusian put video of the migrants coming down the mountain. Those are the ones that are trying to surrender. We call them give-ups. So there's gotaways and give-ups. Mm-hmm. 
It's the gotaways that we worry about. 300,000 in December. That was a record. Much, much fewer, though, in January. 176,000. It's a big drop. Why? Does anyone know why that number went down so much? Absolutely. I can tell you why. The 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 numbers dropped significantly. And by the way, 176,000 in January was the highest January ever on record. So just as long as we're talking right. numbers, so I, it's, it's still... Like always, like always, you can make numbers whatever you want them. Exactly. Now, the significant drop from December. What happened was, A, Mexico began to really help. The irony, by the way, Dave, is Mexico essentially just enforced laws on their books, mm-hmm. stopping them, Okay. while we continue to not ultimately... There's a law on our books that make it a felony to cross, particularly if you've crossed, been deported, and come back a second time. It's a, a very serious felony. We're not enforcing that. So Mexico was cooperating, and in places like Eagle Pass, Texas... Look at the, the, the raw numbers. I mean, no doubt what Texas has done, Governor Abbott and Texas DPS, it may be an eyesore to have shipping containers lining the Rio Grande a lot of razor covered wire. in yeah. razor wire, but they're not coming through that. No. And so the, it was, it was I think, uh, fair to say a combination of Governor Abbott's, Texas's efforts, and then in a, in a larger part, Mexico's cooperation. But what happens when they, they stop? It's going to go back up. And already the trend, so after I'd covered the migrants coming through the Darien Gap, that dangerous jungle between Panama and, and Colombia, uh, I made friends with the the Cinta Force, which is the Panamanian border military mm-hmm. uh, agency. And I kept contacts, and they're very good about sharing numbers. And they were telling me in January their numbers were significantly up to unprecedented levels. And so that means the pipeline is full. Yeah. So they're they're, they're going to be coming. They're coming. And how long does it take to get from there to Arizona or they, California? They say anywhere from, you know, 15 to 30, 40 days. It just depends on how they move. It depends on how difficult Mexico makes it for those that aren't flying. Here we are, of course. We're getting, what is it now, eight eight months almost, a little over eight months from the election. Yeah. President Biden is going to not want to have the situation of December in October and an election year. Do you expect Border Patrol people expect any different policy or any different crackdown from the Biden administration than they've been seeing in the past? It's a great question. And I think it's the operative question, Dave, because we're already hearing rumblings that President Biden administration may do some executive orders and because, of course, Republicans wouldn't pass the bill. And that that was obviously a, a bit of a train wreck. Uh, and, and it doesn't reflect positively on Republicans that they didn't get something done. But the the administration knows they got to do something. And so it's a I, I, I'm quite fascinated to see what they'll do. What we've seen with things like Remain in Mexico and Title 42, uh, the, the, the you know, migrants don't want to be stuck in, in Mexican border towns. And so that was one of the most effective things. Now, what it looks like, because you know it'll have a different name. They don't want any oh, attachment no. politically <laughs> to the no, Trump. Absolutely not. But ultimately, it, it's got to be some executive order that forces them to stay anywhere other than the U.S. while claims asylum claims play out. And 
he can't, the president can't executive, there's no executive power that could change things like the asylum laws to to make it more difficult. That's got to be done by Congress, which is why the border bill was so important, the, the, the stiffening of the asylum threshold. Ultimately, it's going to be fascinating to see whether or not the administration can do some executive orders that can bring the numbers down and maintain them at a certain level, like you mentioned. My sense is that the closer we get to the election and, you know, we're a connected world. Everybody's got TikTok. Everybody's got yeah. a phone. The, the Those that might be coming, and if you're already here illegally and you've got family back at home, they're going to know the clock's ticking. We better go now because we don't know what's going to happen. That usually leads to more surges. All the right. White House, by the way, wants to say, well, it ebbs and flows, and this has been a crisis for 20 years. Now, this was an ebb and flow migration thing that turned into a crisis the likes of which we've never seen in the last two and a half years under this administration. Well, you can watch Griff along with Bill Malugin in the Fox Nation special you can get now called 24-7 Border Crisis. And I'm sure you'll be seeing more of Griff on the border, whether it's Texas or Arizona (laughs) or California or maybe Panama. I don't know where you'll be, but I'm sure you'll be somewhere. Griff Jenkins, Fox News correspondent. Thanks so much for joining us. It was great to be with you. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Carol Roth with your Fox News commentary coming up. Louisiana isn't the only state facing a shortage of police officers, but new Republican Governor Jeff Landry is making a move, recently declaring a state of emergency, calling the shortage a crisis and using an executive order to cut red tape, lifting hiring and payroll limits on sheriff's departments. We know that 78 percent of of law enforcement agencies across the country are experiencing problems in recruitment. Here in Louisiana, we've got sheriff's offices. uh, We're down about 1,800 deputies. Landry telling Fox News they also need hundreds more state police and New Orleans officers. On Monday, the governor, a former police officer and sheriff's deputy, opened a special session of the legislature on crime. I've walked in the very shoes of those who stand on that thin blue line, protecting us from those who seek to disrupt the peace that we all deserve in our communities. Landry argues steps are needed to restore balance in the criminal justice system. Proposals include restricting eligibility for parole, lowering the age to be tried as an adult for a felony to 17, and immunity from liability for law enforcement officers. State Representative Matthew Willard chairs the House Democratic Caucus. The call for this special session does not allow us to truly address crime in a holistic approach that the people of Louisiana 
need and deserve. He says that would include things like more programs to address drug addiction, mental health, and prisoners reentering society. The shockwaves across the country in 2020 from both the pandemic and the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis are still being felt in policing. One Washington, D.C.-based think tank, the Police Executive Research Forum, found that officer resignations were up 47 percent in 2022 compared to 2019, retirements up 19 percent, leaving some big cities and small towns alike unable to recruit and retain enough officers to keep up. A lot of the news reports coming out now seem to be indicating that a lot of small departments around the country that serve small towns and village areas are disbanding and kicking up the responsibilities for response and investigation to the counties or even the state police wherever they reside. Paul Morrow is a retired New York City Police Department inspector and a Fox News contributor. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have things like New York City, which I can speak from better knowledge because I'm here, that the NYPD is down two to 3,000 police officers and in fact has, has made no progress really in recruitment. They, they're not at replacement levels. The last academy class was only about 50% to 60% subscribed. So at both ends of the spectrum, you're hearing the same story, which is we can't get cops, we can't retain cops. And when you're seeing it at both ends, you kind of have to say to yourself that it does look like a, a solid trend. Critics of calls to defund the police um, may be quick to blame that movement for this. How much are cultural factors driving this, though, versus other factors? I would say 75%. The truism of police work is that nobody goes into it for the money. And, you know, uh, sort of proof of that is the fact that here in New York, in an effort to increase recruitment, Mayor Adams opened up the books pretty good for the NYPD, gave them pretty good raises last time around. It was a promise, campaign promise, that he actually came through on. It didn't work. And the reason for that is, yeah, are there alternatives? Sure, there are other jobs you can take out there, et cetera. But what we're seeing is that, yeah, the other jobs people are taking in the police world, certainly, are outside of New York. They're all going to Florida. They're all going to Carolina. They're all going to Texas. I can tell you that from that's more than anecdotal. And the reason for that is that it isn't about the money. In many cases, they take pay cuts to go to these other places. In fact, they take demotions. Um, a lieutenant of mine who worked for me, a lawyer, he worked for me when I was the commanding officer of the legal bureau, he just picked up with all that seniority he had. He could have been padding his pension from now until doomsday, picked himself up, and he moved down south to go to a different department. And so you say to yourself, well, why? And the reason is, is those are areas where the police are not vilified, where you don't feel like you have a target on your back. And you don't feel like that if you step on a sidewalk crack, you're going to have five, six different agencies climbing all over each other to make you the bad guy, to make you the poster boy, to, to, to prosecute you. And yeah, you know, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but I have to tell you, having gone through the 2020 summer of love here in New York in the post-Floyd era, I can tell you that the level of headhunting on the police department, while my cops were getting hit with bricks and just trying to get through the day in one piece, that it is just a mindset, it is a cultural thing, as you term it, it just makes cops say, you know what, I want to be the good guy. Police want to be the good guy. That's why they go into it. They want to do work that feels good to them at the end of the day, and they want to go home in one piece. They know they're not going to be rich. They know there may be a level of security in it. You'll have a pension. It won't be much, but you'll have it, et cetera. But once you take that white hat off of them and you make them the bad guy and you make them the target, don't expect them to run towards gunshots and don't expect them to get up in the morning and want to do the job. And we're starting to see that attrition. On top of all of that, um, the math isn't adding up right now, um, at least in some areas. 
um, in terms of hiring, being able to keep up with the amount of resignations and retirements, right? So how does that get fixed if not as many people want to be police officers or, you know, don't want to be police officers in certain areas? Well, Lisa, one of the benefits of uh, being around for a while in, in the police world is that you see the trends come and go. And so let's speak from experience. We can go back to the 90s. And it was a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, who confronted this, uh, pushed through bipartisan legislation in Congress, which, by the way, Joe Biden signed, which he now would like to run away from, that put more cops out there, funded more cops. But what it very significantly did was throw an attaboy at the police and said, the handcuffs are off. You're not the target. The bad guys are the target. And this was coming out of the crack epidemic. Uh, We had a record number of homicides here in New York in the early 90s. And the cities were really declining. And it got to the point that the president, the president, uh, Bill, Bill Clinton, pushed through this legislation. But it worked. I mean, it did work. And New York City, which is, you know, the kind of the paradigm, because this is where they road test all these policies, came back into a an unforeseen renaissance. And then, of course, we got the Floyd incident and the entire thing shifted. The progressives saw their opening to push through their entire wish list of anti-police reforms. And we're living with that now. And as somebody who's lived it and breathed it and lives in the city, I can tell you that if they tell you that they they will bend over backwards to tell you that it's this, it's that, I've done a study, it's not this, it's not that, don't believe it. Good policing by responsible police professionals works, and it's been proven. And now they're bending over backwards trying to figure out how to undo it. And again, we're seeing the results. In Louisiana, where the governor has declared a state of emergency over the police shortage, They are looking at harsher penalties for criminals as a way to help reduce crime by keeping repeat offenders off the streets. How much does that help with recruiting and retaining police? Well, it certainly won't hurt because at the very least, you're not encountering the same people all the time because there's nothing worse for morale than the situation you have in New York now where police arrest people and before their shift is over, in fact, well before their shift is over, sometimes within the hour, uh, the perp is right back out on the street to do the same thing. And, you know, they thumb that, they literally thumb their noses at the police. The uh, procedure now in New York for most crimes is you just take the person to the precinct, you do some paperwork, and you release them right from the precinct. It's an, it's an incredible turn of events. So if you're actually locking up the bad guys, you know, you get to the point there are various theories of incarceration. There's, you know, whether it should be used for retribution, whether it should be used for rehabilitation. But you do get to a point when you've got crime that is just really spiraling and quality of life is going down so much that you default to incarceration's most basic paradigm, which is keep the bad guys away from the good guys. And if they're locked up, at least they're not committing crimes on innocent people. Now, that's a very blunt instrument, and it is not a one-size-fits-all, and the answer to everything is just not lock them up and forget about it. Of course not, but we've gone way too far in the other direction, and if the police at least are getting some satisfaction out of pursuing crime, solving cases as detectives, putting together uh, intelligence profiles to try to figure out uh, how they can lead intelligence-led policing you start to professionalize the whole thing, you get some job satisfaction out of it, and the fact that your paycheck isn't much maybe matters a little bit less. What about ideas like lowering fitness standards or taking other steps toward easing 
qualifications for policing around the country in an effort to boost recruitment. How concerned should we be about ideas like that? Uh, Extremely, extremely. Um, It's a real bad idea. This is not new. Um, They were starting this stuff when I was there. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a bad idea. But you know what? It's an idea that you adhere to when you have no choice. Because if you just can't fill the ranks of the police department, you're going to have to get people and hire them, despite the fact that they can't get over the wall in the academy. It is something you should be concerned about. One of the things that I found as a police executive was that some of my best people were the military folks. And I've often advocated that there should be a program that allows for some sort of quick transition from the military to go into police work. I don't know if it's a bonus, if there's some kind of an incentive, but you know, those people, they understand uh, institutions, they understand bureaucracy, they understand taking orders, they understand following orders, they understand danger. So one of the things I've always advocated for is some sort of a bonus or incentive to get military folks into policing because they tend to be very squared away and you want as many of them uh, as many of them as you can get. And they also tend to be in pretty good shape. And uh, right now, I think that's, uh, you know, it's important because these perps are not afraid of the cops anymore and they will fight you. And they have talked about trends coming and going. Um, and to the extent that there's a problem right now w- with numbers and with shortages of, of police, hopefully that trend does change soon. But how optimistic are you at this point about the future of policing in America? There's all kinds of real basic uh, approaches here that have to change and they're outside the, of the policing world. You know, you can configure police department. You can, you can rejigger things. You know, you can say we're going to have fewer cops and more sergeants, more supervisors. We're going to put in this policy. We're going to put in that policy. But, you know, police executives, they can't change a culture that is really wedded to the idea that these are the guys that we're going to blame for everything. And, you know, in New York, there's a law, there's a law that the city council put through that if in wrestling with a perp, you depress the diaphragm of that suspect in any way, you're guilty of a misdemeanor. He fights you. You happen to press on his chest and you're going for the misdemeanor. And I can tell you, they can't wait to use it. I was there when they were trying to charge an officer and it was completely ridiculous. He was on the side of the angels. He was wrestling with somebody who was on drugs, who was a danger to himself and others. They wanted to charge him. And it's out there. And without a basic change in that approach, I, I'm sorry, but I really can't be anything but pessimistic until this bottoms out and people wise up. Former NYPD Inspector Paul Morrow, thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you, Lisa. And in other news. I'm Gianangelosi. There's a one-of-a-kind type of drive through option at a McDonald's on a ski mountain in Sweden, and snow bunnies are loving it. It's a ski-through. McSki, located in Salen, Sweden, first opened to the public back in 1996, but it's been inundated with fast food lovers from all across the planet in recent months. It sits on the slopes of Lindvallen Winter Resort and allows customers to waltz up to the window with their skis and snowboards to order any item. The restaurant boasts a full menu in addition to a McCafe where hot chocolate and warm Swedish cinnamon buns are beloved by patrons. And you don't even have to take your skis off or unclip your snowboard to enjoy. One TikTok video posted in December described the McSki as heaven. That video has millions of views. Another video also with millions of views shows a snowboarder picking up a paper bag with the caption, POV, you're craving a burger while snowboarding. For those that prefer heat and the comforts of the indoors, there is indoor dining too. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. 
chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Carol Roth. What's on your mind? On a recent episode of his Club Random podcast, comedian and HBO's real-time host Bill Maher was talking to fitness guru Jillian Michaels about the economy, referencing a recent article and saying how America, quote, won the pandemic economically. While known for her fitness tips, Jillian Michaels held her own on the financial front. She was clearly exasperated by Mars take, lamenting inflation and the cost of everything from cars to houses to bleeping eggs. The pandemic response produced a historic transfer of wealth from the middle and working class to the wealthy and well-connected. But Jillian Michaels was clearly using her eyes, her experience, and her common sense. There's been a lot of gaslighting on the economy, which obfuscates the dire financial situation we find ourselves in. The pandemic response was an accelerator of destructive fiscal and monetary policy, a driver of massive non-merit-based inequality, and an accelerator of a future financial Armageddon. The U.S. has incurred more than $34 trillion in debt. It has a debt-to-GDP level that would likely have triggered a massive currency crisis if we were an emerging market and didn't hold the world's reserve currency. U.S. debt, as projected by the CBO's recently released Budget and Economic Outlook for 2024 to 2034, is expected to hit historic levels of debt-to-GDP and to exceed $54 trillion in the aggregate. This is a path that has been labeled unsustainable by rating agencies, the CBO, the IMF, the Fed, and the Treasury itself. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon has called it history's most predictable crisis. Persistent compounding inflation has made it extremely challenging for most Americans to keep up with the basic costs of living. This has led the personal saving rate to go down well past historic averages and household debt to reach record levels. There's been an acceleration in delinquencies in various debt categories, including credit cards as well. Housing has become severely unaffordable, rents are taking up a larger chunk of income, and buying a house has become, between asset inflation and higher interest rates, unattainable. Policy has also locked up the supply of houses for sale because nobody who has a low interest mortgage can afford to move. So no, we haven't won anything economically, and we're on a perilous trajectory by our governments and the Fed's policy decisions. We cannot fix what is clearly an unsustainable, fractured financial foundation until there is a wholesale connection with reality from those who are still so out of touch. I'm Carol Roth, two-time best-selling author. My latest is You Will Own Nothing, and you can connect with me at carolroth.com slash news. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.